everyone. This is episode 239 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. Hope everybody enjoyed their holiday weekend. Uh, joined here by Ryan and Paul. Guys, how was, how was your long weekend? Uh, it was very fun, but I'm so tired. I, I just want to <laughs> sleep. I, I, I golf once every seven years. It's, it's like how Vulcans get married. And uh, <laughs> I'm ter- I'm. I am not good at it. I also have like thirty-year-old clubs, and uh, it, it was it was fun. But it, I got up at six, and it was ninety degrees and sunny, and I just I have the sunny sleeps at this point, and I want to go to bed. So, but very good. Other than that, I mean, not other than that, good all around. <laughs> Those who are following me on Twitter saw that I was in a mud hole in Central Illinois, uh, dancing my ass off to a bunch of uh, hippie bands. So that was uh, that was wild. It was a good time being your best self. Yeah. Well, and as I was telling Paul, we didn't exactly do this the uh, <laughs> the legitimate way, the way that most people there, most people were camping on site. We uh, we got an Airbnb two miles down the road, and we went and showered and slept <laughs> in beds, and it was quite a refreshing way to do it. And didn't didn't even head out uh, until mid afternoon some of the days. So it was not exactly the uh, the true hippie camping experience, but. Uh, there is definitely uh, some fun people watching. I will say this generation of hippies, a lot fewer clothes than my generation of hippies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're not ashamed. The youngs are not ashamed. So a lot, a lot of that going on at this thing. Uh, my, my wife was uh, uh, not sending pictures because that would be creepy and weird. But she was telling all the girls in her uh, group chat, like going through and rating like the, the various outfits or lack thereof. Uh, to the various girls in her uh, her group chat, so that kept her entertained for a good few hours. Yikes! Yeah, I, I just got back from a, a few day trip to St. Louis over the weekend, so I, we drove back yesterday morning. Uh, we were there for like three nights. Uh, it's like a five ish hour drive from Madison, so we we tried to break it up as well as we could, but. By like Sunday morning, we were both like, "Yeah, let's just go home." <laughs> it was just—it's <laughs> about as long as you can you can stand it in like one city with without like getting bored and just wanting to go home. But man, that's—it was like eight or nine hours in the car overall. It just both was just totally beat. So I, I'm with you uh, on being tired, but fun fun trip overall. Other than um, you know the Brewers getting smoked in the one game I was actually able to go to, so that. Thank you, Adrian Hauser, for that. I believe you uh, predicted the Adrian Hauser start um, for your attendance in advance. I did. I you did. Were ho- you were hoping for Ethan Small, and I believe it was your fault. It'll probably be Adrian Hauser, and it'll probably be a bad one. And yes, it I, was. You were I, right. I definitely called that because I have the worst luck in in starting pitchers when I get to go to a game. And and Adrian Hauser, no offense to him, has been very good this year, but he is probably the the pitcher I wanted to see the least out of the first <laughs> rotation, and uh, ended up proving me right. And and Paul Goldschmidt and, and Nolan Gorman and, and company. Uh, made it a long afternoon, and and it was also 85 and muggy as hell because it's St. Louis. So it was just, yeah, that was a long day, but a uh, fun trip nonetheless. You did get to see Hall of Famer Nolan Gorman's first career home run, so that'll be something you I tell did. the grandkids about. Clearly, someday. clearly a computer generated player. I mean, <laughs> yes, I, pro- I probably probably mentioned before I, I played a ton of seasons of um, MLB 2k2 on my Dreamcast, and nice. uh, to the point where it started making players up and I had a Brewers franchise that had wand sheets on the team <laughs> <laughs> and so any, anytime I see something like that it, it is evidence of the simulation and Nolan Gorman is certainly that it's yeah it's definitely the computer generated name for a minor leaguer yes. five years into your dynasty it absolutely is well just wait yeah. until uh, Ben Sheets has a grandson named Juan when Seaver uh, starts <laughs> yeah. taking out grandkids and decides to name it Juan, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, ah, <laughs> uh, man. But okay, we got a lot to get to. As we mentioned, we're all tired, so let, let's just try to power through this thing as we do this on Monday <laughs> night. Uh, so before we get started, a reminder: if you want to help support us, help support the podcast network, you can throw a few bucks our way. Become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That'll get you the question priority on all of the podcasts on the network. Five bucks a month gets you question priority plus some extra subscriber exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. All right. So I guess despite uh, all the injuries starting to pile up, the, the Brewers have managed to kind of 
put wins up too. I, I know Ryan posted the call for questions this week saying everything was bad at like three in the morning, Saturday night to Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and since then, they've won three in a row and, and look pretty impressive doing it. So uh, Ryan can take credit for that. Oh, and I will be. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, but on the injury front, things have really started to kind of pile up here as maybe feared during this, this stretch of uh, lots of games in, in consecutive days without a day off. But, you know, last week we were all worried about Freddie Peralta, that that podcast was a kind of a bummer, <laughs> like a, a funer funeral feeling to it a little bit. <laughs> uh, but we learned it was a, a strained shoulder for Freddie Peralta. So I guess better than like a labrum that we were kind of fearing, but sounds like he'll be out a significant chunk of the season is what Craig Council said, uh, but should be back at some point. So that's good news at least. But since then, we also had Hunter Renfro land on the aisle with a hamstring injury. Luis mm -hmm. Perdomo hurt his elbow and Brandon Woodruff hurt his ankle. So uh, that that's not great. That's a lot of significant pieces uh, kind of landing on the injured list all at once there. I guess if there's good news, it's that Willie Adamas looks like he's close to coming back. I know uh, he's up to Nashville now in his rehab assignment, was doing some sprints in St. Louis to kind of test the ankle. Uh, so he may be able to uh, come off. I think maybe when the Brewers return home is maybe the, the hope there, but uh, he's eligible to come off once he's feeling better. But uh, I guess circling back to the, the pitching, especially with Woodruff out, uh, the Brewers are now without two of their top three or the big three, if you want to call them that. So I guess, Paul, any worries about the rotation depth now, uh, considering that? <laughs> and, you know, I, I put this on the rundown before Aaron Ashby struck out 12 over six innings and looked awesome. But I, I guess any concerns going forward? Yes. So the Brewers have good starting pitching depth, so they can withstand things like this happening. And uh, Woodruff will probably not be gone too long, although... Uh, high ankle sprains are tough injuries. Um, you know, if he was a wide receiver, this would be a disaster. I'm not entirely sure how much it's going to impact the pitching um, motion, but it's bad enough that it's not great. And you don't want to, you don't want your pitchers out there with any kind of injury because you don't want any minor mechanical changes that can cascade into other injuries. Um, but all in all, it's not too bad. Uh, it's bad to have him and Freddie both gone simultaneously. If anybody else goes down, I think it starts to get much dicier, but I think they can weather this pretty well if there's no more hits to anything. Yep, I would agree with all that kind of down the line there. I think that this is why you develop pitching is because it is going to get hurt. The Brewers have been remarkably fortunate, really, over the past few years. And I think a lot of that is credit to them for how they handle things. I think they do a good job as far as keeping pitchers healthy, but the run that they had last year where basically you had a few guys miss a few starts for some very minor reasons. And other than that, you really didn't start guys outside of your starting five very much at all. That is by far the exception and hardly ever happens in baseball. So you can't plan on it. And when you have a guy like Eric Lauer having a breakout season as your number four pitcher, this is why that's, so critical because they're going to need to lean on him they're going to need like you said to lean on ashby going forward as far as peralta goes at this point uh i'm gonna agree with steve who said this in a, a chat we were talking about it because we have him in a fantasy team that we uh managed together at this point you just hope that like in september they can get him back and ramp him up before the playoffs start mm -hmm. like that is really the hope is that he's ready to go at that point and i don't even know that at that point, you're necessarily going to want to start him. You may want to use him out of the bullpen at that point, take that opportunity to actually just use him out of the pen and then start fresh next year with him. But it is going to be a long haul. We're just going to have to wait and see on that. I, I don't think Woodruff is as big a deal as – I mean, the fact that they didn't instantly put him on the IL, that should tell us a lot. And sure. also the fact that – it's his land foot and not his push off foot, I think is probably helpful, right? Yeah, like, I think so. So yeah. it needs you still need that land foot, obviously. You're putting a lot of body weight on that, doing a an important, you know, athletic thing. But I think that pushing off probably is tougher than than the land foot. So mm -hmm. 
hopefully that that part of it bodes well. But yeah, again, this is why you build up the pitching depth. And I wouldn't be shocked to see them try to go out on the market this summer and maybe add a starter somewhere. And it's not going to be a big name guy. This would be more in the Jordan Lyles vein of things. Somebody like that. Um, especially if they're just trying to kind of keep together a, a six man rotation option throughout the, the dog days of summer, which I think yep. they're going to want to do. I know right now they're saying they're going five man, but yeah, I think eventually they're going to want to go back to six because that's really where they're comfortable. And that does seem to work very well for them. So kind of don't mess with, with success that way. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, I was kind of interested to see, um, them come out and say that that they were going to go, just go straight five man without freddie and just kind of thinking about how that affects everybody else like even before woodruff's injury right like part of the argument of what's made corbin burns so great is that they've been able to really manage his rest and keep him on on that six-man rotation and, and keep him extra fresh and and that kind of thing too and i think everybody's just sort of benefited from that and maybe gotten used to that over the last couple of years. And I think maybe that kind of just throws a wrench in things, but uh, definitely helps when you have Ash be able to step up and, and provide a performance like he did in the second game of Monday's double header. Uh, it's obviously the, the upper end of what he can provide, but you know, when you have uh, that high of a ceiling on a guy too, I think that that's especially helpful. And, and you mentioned to Eric Lauer's, breakout season i think that kind of makes things a little bit easier to uh, swallow at this point as well uh on the topic of the injuries and the injury bug it leads us to our first patreon question it comes from adam post he's asking since it feels like everyone is dropping like flies which brewers regular is least likely to spend any time on the il this season <laughs> He's asking us to jinx this right like this is uh probably this is the jinx yeah. question yes. yeah that is yeah yeah, so who do you want to jinx, Ryan? I mean, <laughs> I don't want want to jinx anybody, <laughs> but I kind of feel like this will be the year that like Casting Hero just like never gets hurt. So there's in the year where it's kind of going to be weird to find playing time and a roster spot for him, even though he probably deserves <laughs> right. it the way that he's hitting right now. Absolutely. Uh, so of course this would be the year that he just doesn't. There, there's no injury concern. There's nothing like that. So that that probably just the the guy that you you know you don't want to see you want him to get hurt you never want to see a guy get hurt but the guy that you have like the most redundancy built in for would be Keston Hira so he'll probably just fly right through it. I go with um, I, without having looked up if he's been on it yet. A rowdy, I was is, I always go with first baseman. Yeah, just because they don't they don't stress themselves too yet. much. They they yeah. don't have to. You know, dive for very much or do anything that gets you hurt very much. I mean, Prince Fielder barely ever missed a game. And <laughs> right. looking at Prince Fielder, you would not maybe think that intuitively, but it's just that the position's not a lot of wear and tear. So I would, I think T Rowdy's probably my my bet there. He's probably like the only one that hasn't been hurt yet, too, because I feel like, you know, Adamus is on the aisle already. Mm -hmm. uh, Urias started the year on the aisle. Has has Colton Wong gone on? I feel like he's due for one, if not. Um, Lorenzo Cain's going to end up on a phantom aisle at some point. Mm. Like, yeah, it, yep. <laughs> I feel like uh, Rowdy's probably the safest bet to, to just not land on just out of sheer volume or sheer numbers there. But uh, yeah, it definitely a lot to kind of overcome too. And it's like this, this attrition is kind of just building up as we kind of expected or feared during this stretch of what was it? 18 games in 17 days or something like that. That's going to yeah. continue for another week yet. Um, so, I mean, I guess to the Brewers credit, they've, they've still, you know, managed to take two out of three from the Padres in San Diego, had a chance to win all three of those games, too, because the loss was in extra innings. Um, Devin Williams, actually, I think we should talk about, too, looked very sharp pitching in three straight days while Josh Hader was mm -hmm. out on his family leave. And, and that was uh, really, really interesting and good to see. Um, and I think maybe something... Uh, for Craig Council to kind of keep in the back of his mind as as we get down in the latter half of the season, um, or especially now that Josh Hader pitched both ends of a doubleheader on Monday night as well and is probably out for uh, a couple days here after that. But 
outside of that San Diego series, then as we mentioned, the Brewers split four games in St. Louis, despite putting me through uh, misery on Saturday. <laughs> and we saw the MLB debut of Ethan Small, uh, as we mentioned, uh, during the first game of the doubleheader. So I guess just a really eventful <laughs> week since we last spoke. Um, let's just start, I guess, with with uh, Ethan Small's debut. I know, Ryan, you said you were driving, but uh, just kind of the the a quick taste of, of Ethan Small. He was optioned down right after the game, but kind of uh, what we were talking about, right? Like he, he'll miss bats. He, he struck out four in his four-ish innings, but he also walked four. So you could maybe kind of see why, uh, looking at these two games, why Ashby was considered the better prospect, right? Yeah, well, we stopped to have lunch, so I did catch the first two innings when he actually looked pretty good. We got in the car, and that's when everything went to hell. So I guess that was my fault for not sitting and continuing to watch the game on the, the deck. But Everything's your fault. This yeah, week. it is. It's all related to me. Um, so the thing with, with Ethan Small is he was exactly as advertised in that he was when he was in the zone. He was very hard to hit. Guys were whiffing like crazy on yeah. him. I don't know the exact whiff numbers for the game, but uh, he he had a decent number of them. Uh, and then he was not in the zone, and guys weren't swinging at stuff outside the zone because major leaguers are really good at that. And the Cubs, in particular, are kind of like sneakily really good at that, like not swinging at stuff outside the strike zone too readily. So you also saw it with Devin Williams late in the in his appearance where he just could not get them to go fishing and finally was a little bit more in the zone with his uh, changeup, which they couldn't hit then at all. So but they they don't go fishing very often. And that is something he's going to have to get better at is keeping the ball in the strike zone, which is what we've been saying for weeks on here, which is. Yeah, there's a lot to work with with Ethan Small. You want like this is the good Brewer starter kit. He has it. Yep. But there's refining that needs to happen. And you saw that in a microcosm with what he did today. Yep. And the walks stand out and got him in trouble. And that's what causes them fundamentally is, um, yeah, you, you can't go fishing around the outsides against major league pitching as much as you can down in the minors. You, you're, unless you're super deceptive, the guys are going to lay off, especially if they got the book on you. And, uh, you know, at some point you have to, you have to, command that better or trust your st stuff in the zone better one of the two but um you know it, it wasn't like a disaster outing either he still rung people up pretty well and um you know they still still came back and made things right in the end but um it, we, guys come up to have cups of coffee in these situations specifically to work on these kinds of things to get this experience to 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 get that understanding that oh these guys are all better than all of the guys i've been facing for my entire career so far. And um, that sometimes is very useful in driving you to work on the small stuff and uh, get the perfectionist stuff down. So, um, you know, it's not any reason to be discouraged about Ethan Small. He pitched you know, kind of what you would expect in, um, in your big league debut that happens sometimes. And uh, he'll be fine. He'll probably be better for the experience. Yeah, I guess you could say he just needs to work on the small things. <laughs> you could Ooh, say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you kind of saw this, uh, Ryan. You were right too. Like th this is very similar to the other paths that we've seen other Brewers starters take, right? I mean, even going back to like the Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns uh, wave, like they started him out in a spot starter, a bullpen, or, or something like that, and. Um, you saw it with Ashby too, where the the stuff was clearly there, right? And it was just a matter of kind of trusting the stuff to Paul, like you said. And, and I think Ashby still is kind of working with that a little bit, right? There there was times tonight during his outing, as good as it was, where Chris Hook basically had to come out and say, "You're you're kicking ass, dude! Like just throw it in the strike zone, <laughs> stop walking, guys." Um, and I think that you know, it does take some time to, to do, but that's why these, yeah, these spot starts are so valuable. I have no doubt that we're going to see him back up, uh, sometime, if not soon, you know, in, in the next month or two, um, especially as they probably want to try to get back to that six man rotation, like we talked about. And I don't know, it, it wasn't like a super amazing debut, but, um, you know, we've also seen these debuts go kind of disastrously, like we saw with Ashby's debut, mm -hmm. uh, also against the Cubs yep. last year, right? Where uh, just 
blew up in his face right away and, and he was able to bounce back from that. So I think there's definitely some good takeaways there, uh, but also some things that he definitely needs to work on. And, and hopefully we see those changes the next time he's back up with the, the major league team. Well, and credit to former co-host or not co-host, but guest host, Kurt Hogue. He was talking about this this week. If you look back at the number of AAA starts for the Brewers homegrown guys, it is remarkable how similar it is. They're all between about 15 and 20. They make about 15 to yep. 20 AAA starts, and then they come into the big leagues, and then they do some hopping between the rotation and the bullpen, bullpen rotation, do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then generally aren't just in the major leagues just for good when they come up. I don't think any of them were. I think they all did some time back in the minors again, some mm-hmm. more, more work refining. They have a plan in place, and it has worked really well, and I think that we can have the utmost confidence that if there is an above average starter within Ethan Small's capabilities, they'll get to it. They'll figure out how to do that. Whether or not that happens, who knows? But if if the the possibility is there, I think they will they will make that happen because they're just really good at this. Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, quite a few uh, few other uh, Patreon questions to get to this week. But first, I kind of just want to put a bow on this idea that we kind of talked about this uh, the last week or two about the incredibly long stretch of games, as we mentioned, 18 games in 17 days. Still somehow a week left to go in this. So the, the Brewers will play two more in Chicago, and then they go and play four at home against the Padres before they have next Monday off. So still still uh, quite a ways to go here. But I think, you know, is it fair to say, Paul, that they've kind of handled this about as well as they could have? I mean, results-wise, they're still winning. So, I mean, that's good, right? Yeah, and especially given that they have been banged up by injuries as well. Um, they have not been fully loaded. So one of the concerns if you get into a stretch of games like this is that your depth is really tested, and there's especially so. And yeah, this is about as good as you could ask for for what they've actually had to go through. Um, It's been a road trip and condensed games, and they've had to travel quite far for it. Um, So yes, they've they've been quite they've done quite well so far. This is a good start, and they can probably afford to tail off a little bit at the end of it if they have trouble weathering it. Though you know, got the Cubs here, so uh, chance to do more damage, but. But, uh, yeah, you can't ask for more than this. Um, you know, you're not going to sweep every series. And the fact that they do keep rolling up wins, uh, no matter what people throw at them, is really impressive. Yeah, they did have a bumpy first uh, three-city road trip. But this mm-hmm. one is going pretty swimmingly. Even at this point, no matter what happens, you could say this road trip was a success. You yeah, lose these yeah. last two against the Cubs. And coming out of this thing, that would still make them, uh, for this road trip, what, six and five? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, that's right. Yep. Even though these aren't you know necessarily the strongest teams, though I actually really should say the Padres, obviously a good strong team. The Cardinals, mm-hmm. good strong team. The Cubs, not so great. But yeah, if you come <laughs> out of this six and five, you're pretty damn happy with that, and it could be better than that. So you just got to try to keep going into the the next um, into the next home stand. See if you can recoup a little bit, get Adamas back, hopefully get Woodruff back right away because he hopefully won't miss more than the two starts. That That is the fingers crossed optimistic uh, look at this point. So, yeah, they've, they've done this about as well as anybody could reasonably have hoped. Yeah, absolutely. And and as much as I was chagrined to see the lineup on Saturday when I went to the game, <laughs> um, or actually I was I was at um, the Cardinals Ballpark Village having a, a drink before the game and, and stopped by another guy in a Brewers jersey and was he was talking about all the backups in on Saturday and we were kind of bummed about that, but uh, you know don't love to to go see a game against a division rival and see Tyrone Taylor hitting cleanup. Uh, not my idea of a great time, but. Uh, you know, Craig's done a good job of kind of mixing and matching the days off here and trying to to get guys in there to give them a rest or at least keep the the bench guys sharp. And I think that really pays off in these stretches too, right? Where um, everybody knows that they're going to play a little bit and, and kind of keeps them on their game as best as they can. And uh, even though, you know, Saturday was a clunker, they came back and they hit really well on Sunday. So uh, that was good to see as well. So, yeah, I, I think 
overall just really encouraging just to kind of see how they can weather this and as we've mentioned multiple times before the schedule gets a lot easier in the second half of the season so just keep banking those wins now and you know the cardinal series especially i think the big thing was not to lose ground to them because now we're in memorial day and we can start looking at the standings and kind of make sure that that lead is kind of padded because uh you know they're going to be annoying down the stretch too so they always are yep absolutely all right uh let's get to some patreon questions this week we've got two from our friend jay google actually and his first question here says let's talk something good Hira with a 141 ops plus when he posted this on i think saturday night or sunday morning and brasso with a 131 ops plus have been super solid versus um uh, in the lineup for the crew but one is going to end up back at triple a when everyone gets healthy right so paul i guess this is the issue we were kind of talking about with keston right like trying to find him playing time now that he's hitting well yeah and it would be beneficial if he wasn't so good i mean it's good he's good against righties because it's good to be good against somebody um but uh (laughs) he he's not a platoon partner for for rowdy that doesn't work and so you got to you know work with the dh with him to get him playing time and he can't really play in the field uh, so he's been hammering the ball like he's um, I, he has their highest OPS against right-handed pitching on the team right now um, by a good amount, and Rowdy is second. Um, but uh, he's still kind of a he's not. I mean, he's been good. He's been a lot of their offense, but he is still uh, very vulnerable and still misses the ball too much. And um, he probably is. Uh, a candidate at the prime candidates to get sent back whenever they need to send somebody back. Um, Brasso is also hitting very well, but you know, he has the versatility to actually help out across the diamond. And as long as he's still raking, um, he's the more likely candidates to weather that I would say. Um, but, uh, both have hit way better than a lot of the other people on the team. So it really does hurt them that they may have to face that position. Um, and also, I should point out, Mike Brasso, one of the only people that actually is actually crushing lefties well, along with Furious. Yep. So they, they they could use him for that because it's been a weakness of the team so far. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out here that Keston Hero, when you talk about the swinging and missing issues, he's striking out over 40% of the time. Yep, yeah. not sustainable. That's bad. Yeah, that is horrific. That is entirely unsustainable we talked about it in 2019 as being too much and that it was going to be a problem for him long term if he couldn't cut down on 30.7 (laughs) percent yep he is now at 41.7 percent after monday's doubleheader that is absolutely unsustainable and i don't see any reason to think that's going to get better i i kind of said to somebody we were hanging out over the weekend uh, while we we're out there, I'm like, I don't understand why anybody throws him a strike that he can hit. Like, I, you have to miss inside the zone pretty badly because there's only a few areas where he can really do damage, and I'm not sure why people are giving pitches to hit in that area. It just that doesn't really make sense to me, and I hope that he is able to figure this out and do well, but I don't see it. I just I it, at this rate of of swinging and missing. It's just really out of control. And yes, the walk percentage is up this series at almost 11%. That's good. But yeah, the overall picture here, I mean, also throw in, you've got a a 375 batting average on balls in play. Like that is not sustainable either. Nope. So like the underlying things here are not great and he's going to have to improve or that overall number is going to steadily decline. And my gut says they know it. They seem to, I I would bet they know this, but they, they yeah. need to ride this right now because one, they're so bereft of of, of bats at the moment, especially you know, with Renfro out. They, they need the right-handed power bat in the lineup. Yep. So they, they very much need that, but I think they know that th- what he's doing right now is not a path to long-term success. So he's either going to have to change to improve or this is going to stop working and they probably will pull the plug on it quicker than maybe people anticipate. And by pull the plug on, I mean, probably sending him down. Yeah. I mean, it's 
kind of worked so far. Him just being like the guy who mashes the square power swing button in the video game, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's still he's still yep. crushing the mistakes when they're there, but uh, it leads to a lot of swing and miss too. I think you know we even saw that over the weekend where he just tanked one into the upper deck of Big Mac Land, um, but that was a, a extremely hangy slider and in that same game he cut through a slider down the middle of the zone and missed mm-hmm. it so um you know it's kind of just a roll of the dice on whether he gets a hold of one but yeah i kind of wonder too if he is maybe benefiting right now from being the guy that pitchers and opposing pitching coaches and whatever he's like five six seven eight guys down the list in terms of who you worry about and like back when he was the guy that people were focusing him and Yelich were you know, the guys heading into 2020, right? After what they did in 2019, mm-hmm. that everybody was putting their focus and putting their attention on them. And they were able to expose Cura specifically, like really, really badly when doing that. And you kind of wonder if now he's somewhat of an afterthought. Nobody's really paying that much attention to him. But if he does start to get like everyday plate appearances in the middle of the lineup, the focus will start to hone in on him. And I think that this, the things that we're seeing now are going to get even more exposed and it's going to be bad long-term for him if he doesn't change that. Sorry, Jay. I know you're trying to be positive, but we can say nice <laughs> things about Mike Brousseau because I think that's more legitimate. And it's also, he's being kept in a more, I think suitable role for what he's capable of. And they, kind of need that at the moment with with uh, Adamus down and you know just just sort of needing that uh that extra guy in there I think his is more sustainable and he's also hasn't he purely crushed lefties like that's really what he's done he's the one guy that's actually done what they were kind of hoping in that vein yep absolutely uh so yeah he's held up his end of the bargain there he's one of the few uh guys that they added to, to crush lefties that have actually done so so yeah that that's worked out nicely at least and uh you know also making some nice defensive plays whether it's at second base or or third or wherever he's asked to kind of step into so i i think that that's an addition that's definitely worked out well so there see we can be positive about something mm-hmm. uh while also mm-hmm. talking about how uh Keston is 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 uh really kind of getting exposed at, at some point still um, I guess on the topic of being exposed, Jay's second question deals with Lorenzo Kane. So he is asking, okay, really, at what point do they have to move on from Kane? Everyone loves him, but on the field, he's had zero barreled balls, a negative launch angle. His K percentage is the highest of his career and walk percentage is the second lowest of his career. Um, so right before, right after Jay sent this, we'll give him credit for this one. He gets the reverse Jenks credit. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Lorenzo Kane hit a home run over the weekend, got that OPS all the way over 500 now. So, you know, things are really looking up for, for low, right, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, as all of Twitter pointed out simultaneously, he still doesn't have a barrel on the season, even though. He crushed a home run that was, uh, according to the Dong Bot, a home run in every park in baseball. Um, it, it had like a 30-degree launch angle. It was, it was just like just a towering moonshot, and he still get The old lean it. back on him, yeah. The old yeah. lean back on him. Um, and, and so he's still not making good contact. He had, he had a good day. It was a kind of vintage cane day, actually, with a home run and some some speedy contact type seeing eye hits. And um his defense is still okay, but it's definitely fallen off too. Um, so I, the, the big problem here is if he was just providing defense and not hitting very well, I think you could still make some hay with that. Um, but the gap between him and like Tyrone Taylor, who's not a good defensive center fielder, is much, much smaller than it was in previous years. And he's just not hitting. And there's no signals in his profile that he's going to start hitting either. He looks... Uh, he had a good day, but people have good days, and he still looks pretty washed. So um, I think that that will probably be a trade deadline focus if they can find a guy who could just a backup center fielder to play that spot. That might do it. They might keep him around just as elder statesman, good clubhouse guy. Of course, that's always possible too. But uh, I, I don't think he's going to start producing anytime soon. It's just not there. 
Yep, I agree, and it is sad, but this is what happens at the end of careers, and this is kind of, this is one of those signings where when the Brewers made it, we looked at it and we said, this probably ends poorly in the final season, maybe seasons of it, and we yeah. got our massive amount of use out of him those first two seasons, and then obviously the COVID year, everything gets screwed up, but I think he still would have been a pretty yeah. decent player that year had he not, you know, done what was right for his family and walked away and said, you know what? I don't need this. And then last year it's been kind of a, a decline, clear decline in, in 2021. And then to this point where it looks like he's pretty washed at this point, you hope that he can have some big moments, some big uh, memories basically yeah. to take away from it because getting consistent playing out of him is probably not going to happen. Nope. Yeah, I, I kind of joked about it earlier, but I could definitely see a scenario where it's kind of like, a, okay, pick one of your old man sore spots and we'll put you on the injured list for a couple of weeks to kind of uh, kind of clear the roster spot, but keep you in the dugout, right? Like I, I could definitely, as you kind of mentioned, th see him being the, the cere ceremonial cheerleader on the roster in the dugout towards the end of the year, right? Uh, at least hopefully after a deadline acquisition or, or something like that. But yeah, it, it's just really hard to watch him right now. And I even like, you know, over the weekend, he, he had that home run that he tried to rob. I think it was Goldschmidt of that kind of landed in the, in the flower oh, yeah. pot yep. in St. Louis that he normally you know, I, I guess you can't say on a play like that he normally would have made it because that's an insanely difficult catch to make. But he just missed it, and it just felt like one of those scenarios where it, it's not usually a play he would have missed. And he, he was kind of walking like he was kind of pissed off that he couldn't do that anymore after mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, it was. It, it, it was just one of those things where, like, yeah, this is another sign that maybe this is the end of the road for him too, which is just kind of really sad to see. But as you guys mentioned, uh, the first part of that contract worked out swimmingly. So I guess we can't complain too much, even though it, he's just a black hole in the lineup right now. Um, all right. Next question comes from Alex Lamers asking, obviously with the new playoff format, getting a top two record in the NL has big advantages. The Dodgers are way out in front of everybody, but how would you handicap the race for the second seed as things currently stand? Um, I think I've said before, I actually really like the Brewers' chances of getting that second seed just because the NL Central is just so bad and they can bank a ton of wins, and they have already. So I guess, Paul, is that what you're thinking too? I do like their chances, yes, but um, you know, it's hard to put them ahead of the Mets since the Mets are, I think, technically ahead of them right now uh, by a little bit. Uh, the Brewers will play a lot of bad teams because their division is bad. Um, but they've already played a lot of bad teams because their division is bad, and they're still trailing, you know, the the best team in the East as well. So I do think it's tricky. And then um, uh, St. Louis is also not quite as far back as I would like at this point, and it has proven, as they often do, to be a little stouter than well, Pakoda thought. I, I mean, I don't think any of us thought that, um, but. Um, it, you know, they, I think they'll be a thorn in the side. So I like them. I, I guess I would take them like non-confidently as the other one, but I, I, I think the Mets are really good and uh, I, I don't think they're going to be able to just coast into it by any stretch and not, they're not going to rely, be able to rely on Pittsburgh and Cincinnati just carrying them um, to, to that record. Uh, that That's not going to happen. I mean, Washington is also quite trash over in the East too and um, there's yeah. there's some rough team like that that division's not as strong as uh, it first appeared either I think so there's that too yeah it's kind of a shame the West is the strongest division in it is. the league and I think probably by quite a little bit because Colorado's better I think than we were really anticipating and Arizona is in that phase where they're bringing up a bunch of young players so they're kind of an exciting team from that perspective and they've got more coming so. And then obviously you've got the the uh, Padres and the Giants who are also above 500 and firmly in playoff contention at this point. So, yeah, I I think that if you had to bet at this point, you would bet on the Mets because they just uh, they have so much depth. They have built up a team that has so much depth. And I guess you know the the fact is they've they've lost Scherzer for a while. They've haven't had Degrom pitch for them at all this year. 
So they've been able to sort of maintain where they've been at without having those guys contribute much at all. And so that says a lot about the kind of depth that they've assembled finally after years and years and years of not doing it, where they're kind of a stars and scrubs roster. Steve Cohen came in and said, no, we're just going to build up a really, really good roster top to bottom. And this is the result. Even when you have some marquee guys missing, they're 33 and 17. So, yeah, the Brewers definitely have the the luxury of playing in the weakest division of the three. But as Paul pointed out, like Washington isn't terrible. Philadelphia, I think, is a lot better than 21 and 28, too. That's a that's a team that is chronically underachieves, but I think they're better mm-hmm. than that. So we will see. I I think that we we have the advantage of being in the in the weakest division, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. Some of that's going to just depend on how well they're able to weather this this storm of injuries that they've got going right now. Because maybe this is the Brewers. Yeah. If they get everybody kind of back, obviously Freddie's going to be out until close to the end of the season, but if they get kind of everybody else back and they start kicking it into gear and then make some additions at the trade deadline, maybe this is a hundred, 105 win team. Maybe this is the best Brewers team that we're going to see that certainly within the realm of possibility that, that they're that. And in that case, you know, if they get to a hundred wins, I'm going to feel pretty good about them getting one of those two buys, yeah, but absolutely. Yeah. It, yep. it, it is going to take, I think probably that a, like, where would you feel comfortable that they're going to get a buy? 97, 98? I don't even know if that does yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. I I think starting the year, I, I thought, yeah, that 95 to 97 range might get you the second seed there. But the, the Mets, as you mentioned, have just kind of jumped out so far ahead that mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's hard to see them falling back, especially with how bad the NLEs has actually turned out to be. Um, you know, old friend Corey Knebel blowing three saves in a row for the Phillies. So their bullpen struggles continue. The Marlins have kind of been mildly disappointing, too. And and the Braves also the Barves three under. I didn't realize that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they've had their own, you know, injury issues and such, too. But uh, definitely off to kind of a slower start. Uh, World Series hangover or not. So, yeah, that that's definitely uh, one thing to look at. And then also, I think, like we mentioned previous weeks, too, that the Pirates could be more competitive than I think we anticipated as well. You know, they played the Padres tough over the weekend. And I don't know if you saw, like, Dwayne Underwood's comments about uh, not being much different between them and the Padres other than the Padres being better funded, uh, which is interesting to see uh, a <laughs> actual player for the pirates kind of call out ownership that way but uh you know they're they're a scrappy bunch and they're going to be adding a lot of young talent to the big league roster here soon like we talked about so uh yeah i i guess i'm less confident of the brewers getting that second seed than i was maybe a, a couple of weeks ago just because you know we're running out of time it's weird to say that i guess on memorial day but yeah. you know the, the mets have built up such a strong start that it's well, going to take an epic metzing to really kind of screw that up, right? <laughs> well, let's look at where they actually are. So the the Dodgers right now are 33 and 14 pending whatever happens in the game tonight against Pittsburgh. And I don't know what's going on there. I'm not even going to look because it's probably bad. So uh, <laughs> Dodgers 33 and 14. Brewers are 32 and 18. Mets are 33 and 17. So the, the Mets are a game up on the Brewers. They are a, one game yeah, up on the Brewers for close. the second seed at the moment. But both teams are just, you know, only behind in the loss column to the uh, to the Dodgers. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is it is closer. Um, but I think, you know, your guys's point too that this will kind of come down to the end here, and and really, it, it's then the scenarios like we're in right now where it's just kind of a couple bounces of the ball during a really long road trip that can kind of <laughs> make those differences too. So I guess it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I, it, yeah, man, if the Mets get Scherzer into ground back too, and, and they're still at this pace, I think that's, that's going to be tough to top for sure. All right. Um, next Patreon question comes from james vandenberg so this is a really interesting one and it comes with a link uh reading for us ahead of time or if you've listened (laughs) to the uh most recent effectively wild episode about this or really any effectively wild episode since the start of the season you know about like their 
uh, consternation about, I guess, Apple TV on their broadcast has like these live odds or probabilities and, and such. And the numbers haven't really seemed to make sense. So they actually got on the the podcast, the person who is kind of the, the face of this company that, that <laughs> builds these odds and, and tried to get them to explain it. And it, it, I guess, uh, depending on your viewpoint, didn't go so well. And then mm-hmm. that was paired with a Fangraphs article. Uh, yeah. I think it was Ben Clemens that mm-hmm. did it, that basically it uh, put together a, a, an intentionally crappy prediction model that actually outperformed this thing. So uh, lots of uh, interesting background here. Uh, you should go to Fangraphs and check out that article. But James's question here is, uh, with the interview with the end venue CEO on Effectively Wild and corresponding Fangraphs article debunking the in-game probabilities on the Apple TV broadcast making the rounds this week, would you be in favor of having something similar but more accurate on Brewers broadcasts? Also, feel free to use this opportunity to complain and vent about big tech and overfitted models, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, have at it, Paul. Uh, your, I uh, guess, take on this and the entire big tech thing. I don't like the gambling additions that have been made to baseball broadcasts, generally speaking. But this is worse than those because uh, this information is, oh, I'm not even going to say almost, it's certainly driven uh, by the desire to push a gambling agenda on viewers. It, it's Absolutely. getting odds in people's faces and making them uh, consider the possibility that they know better than a machine behind the scenes and in doing that it's essentially lying to people it, it is it, you know it would be one thing if you had like a decent model or just a even if it wasn't a great model putting probabilities up there uh, just something that was very transparent like you know for x amount of time we have this outcome in these counts a uh, very basic like basically what ben tried to do in his article to check it like doing that and uh, with an understanding of what's going on in the background that's fine. When you watch like World Series of Poker on TV and they put the odds up, that's just what's happened before on 80 billion poker hands in, over the course of the year. This is not that. This is very clearly a bad model. Uh, they're, uh, they're, uh, ben Clemens, and I'm sure the Effectively Wild, I, I did not, by the way, listen to Effectively Wild. I'm very behind. But uh, quickly, quickly, quickly caught some of the very obvious errors it made where people's chances of getting on base would go up when strikes were thrown and the opposite when balls were thrown. That is um, that is a broken model, um, and it's just a matter of incompetence or malevolence. Um, I think that you can actually assign some malevolence here because people who run big statistical models, big AI models, and big machine learning models are all well aware of these limitations. You don't get into that business, and indeed you can't really even do the work to calibrate them without understanding things like overfitting so when you see overfitting what's happening here is they're they're basically taking um old timey bad data um and putting it out there as if it's got some predictive value with science behind it to drive the lie home and that is uh it's dishonest and it's actually pretty despicable that apple tv had that on there yeah, so I have listened to it. I actually went back and listened to it a second time because I was sitting around in the mornings with not much to do and decided to listen to it again because it was so fascinating. And I was trying to figure out what this the the CEO's deal was, whether or not this was malevolence or it wasn't, because she seemed really in over her head. And at times she almost seemed like she was condescending to Ben and Meg about like <laughs> things that like not directly condescending, but like. No, you're talking to people who know what they're talking about here. So, And you're also talking to a listenership that is very, very attuned to this stuff. So she did not cover herself in glory, as they say, in this whole thing. It's the, yeah, it's not like she's giving the pitch to the Apple TV folks, right? Like, right. These are stat nerds who know what they're talking about. Right, and who... Uh, it is their job and has been their job to write pieces and if not write pieces, at least edit pieces, both Ben and Meg have edited baseball prospectus. So like, or, or fan graphs, like they have edited big time publications dedicated to this stuff. And so the fact that you, that she was kind of going at it that way was, was sad. You can listen to that if you want to, to sort of get a, a read on it. But I, I don't know. You brought up an interesting point, Paul, and the idea to like 
because I was trying to figure out, well, what's the game here? If you're if you're putting these bad odds that like if I'm looking at these odds going, oh, if I could bet against this, I would definitely like clean up. (laughs) And I guess that is that is the thing. Like you put up bad odds to make people think, oh, it's going to be easy to beat the, the house when there's no real ability to make those kind of bets right now that is still coming down the line that is yep. something that we've been promised but is not here yet to be able to make real time wagers on individual like outcomes of plate appearances or even pitches that isn't here yet but yes if this is priming people for that and showing them hey this is this is going to be a really easy way for you to make money cuz look how bad these odds are look how bad the computer system is yeah, that actually is, and I think maybe Meg was kind of trying to hint at that a little bit, but they were trying to be very cautious, and I get a feeling they probably ran this by some lawyers before they published it, um, because it, it was delayed, and it seemed to be, there was like this long sort of delay that week uh, before it came out, but I my overall gut instinct is, yeah, this was really bad, especially just the the general idea of, yes, if you take a ball in a plate appearances, your chances of getting on base do not go down. No, no, they don't. That, they that is that is not factually correct. Stupid nope. on its face. Like yeah. anybody mm-hmm. who's watched baseball could tell you that. Like, I don't. Or just as an ounce of common sense. And if yeah. it's one of those things where it, you would use that kind of thing to check your model. It's something you would like. Uh, I. I actually occasionally do big data work as part of my job. And one of the things you look at when you have models trained on things is stuff like that. Is this returning nonsensical results on obvious data points? Like, can we pull these out and see if they just make sense? Like, we'll take a sample. We'll check them out. We'll look for obvious things that we know to be true, not being true. And if they're not, we we train it more, we run it. And... um, the other thing that should be, drive a lot of skepticism here, aside from I'm glad that this person talked on Effectively Wild, um, that the uh, they tweeted out just some boilerplate nonsense uh, when pressed on this, and every stat- statistician just tore it up because it, it was that's it was nonsense, and like Jonathan Judge uh, just called it gobbledygook, and it, it that's it, that was not his word, that was my summation of it, but. Uh, <laughs> There are words in there that statisticians use, but they're not used correctly, and um, <laughs> they uh, they are just lying with words, uh, with big words. Um, so it's uh, that is a, a an outfit that should not be on TV. They they have work to do, and are I mean at best they they have work to do. At worst, they're actively um, working to promote uh, kind of a dirty business in a very underhanded way. Yeah, I think that that's basically all this can be, right? Because I, it, it's really hard to imagine because there there was they did a test run of this with uh, some White Sox broadcasts last year, and Jason Benetti and some other people associated with that broadcast were like, they called out that these odds were not they they didn't like what they were seeing. They're like, I don't trust this. I don't think we should be putting this on air because it it just doesn't seem to this doesn't pass the basic smell test right and like ben and meg were very careful and to their credit to to, like give a lot of caveats and to say like if you're never surprised by like a new a new stat or a new model or something then there's really no point to it like why are you doing this if it's not going to bring you new information but if you're constantly surprised by something Mm -hmm. then chances are pretty high that this is wrong and yes there have been exceptions to this in the history of of baseball especially the dips theory stuff like that is the big where everybody was like this can't possibly be right and the more people looked at it they're like yeah this actually probably was mostly right yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, but for the most part yeah if you're constantly being shocked by something the way that this shocks people because it is returning all these weird outcomes where yeah you take a strike and all of a sudden your your chances to uh to hit a home run have gone up or it's just yeah. you know, really, really bizarre stuff. It, it that just yeah, it, it it comes from like you said, overfitting data and really grabbing like minute, small samples of things and saying that like because this guy in this count on this day did this thing, it really has you know this huge impact on what uh, on what uh, is likely to happen in this at bat is yep. just nonsense. It's bunk, and we know that. And we've known that for a very long time. And so, uh, yeah, 
I, I was joking with my brother because I sent this to him and I said, hey, you need to read this, the, the Ben Clemens article. And I said, <laughs> I think that like this and the interview that she did on Effectively Wild, I think it might have like destroyed her company because yeah. this is it was a really awful look. Like it yeah. really was. It, it, it really was hard was. to listen to at points. It, it would not surprise me if uh, this experiment does not make it through the entire season on the Apple TV broadcast, right? Like, it was that damaging. So, yeah, it, it's just go take a listen to it if if you haven't already. It's definitely worth it. And a good example of when uh, liars use st- statistics, I should say. Yep. All right, before we wrap up this week, we do have a couple more Twitter questions to get to. A reminder, even if you're not a patron, you can send us a question uh, every week at MKE Tailgate on Twitter. Our first question comes from uh, PJ's Mike Brasso stan account, Adam or GP, <laughs> uh, asking, historically, who's the mis- most impactful brewer side armor? Uh, P.S. Hobie Milder made a really nice defensive play last week. That was nice to see. So uh, the Brewers actually have a ton of side armors now. You, you've got Kelly, you've got Milner. Uh, but I guess uh, most historically impactful, is it Brian Schaus because he was allowed to pitch to Pat uh, Burrell, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, Schaus is the one that instantly pops into my mind because I'm a yeah. fan of a certain age. So Schaus is, <laughs> yeah, weighs heavily in that. Uh, I'm having trouble remembering too many right-handed like true submariners is that what we're going with here <laughs> yes i like yeah. it yes going with marvel it's fine. wild callback yeah um yeah i, I don't eric, know I, eric yardley was right yardley yes was. yardley yeah, was you you'd call him that um, but like not super impactful really no, no. only kind of just intermittently like he was the seventh guy in the bullpen sometimes and then you know, was in AAA the other yep. parts of the season. And I know that the Brewers like having guys coming at it from different angles. They like giving batters a lot of different looks, and they like giving counsel a lot of different people to be able to deploy in situations to kind of mess with hitters and to to do that well. And I think counsel likes having some different things, but there's sort of a, a baseline of competence that you need. And I think most submarine pitchers just aren't above that line very high. You know, they're not very far above the the basic competence line. So it's hard for them to be anything more than just a gimmick act. They're always a Rugi or a loogie. It's just... Yeah, yep. I guess y- you could maybe call um, Alex Claudio one, I guess. So you, you guys know the real answer to this question, right? Uh-oh. Who is it? Well, it's Tim Dillard. Tim Dillard. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just Googled Brewer's sidearm and got a bunch of Tim Dillard stuff. So, yeah. yeah so it, the answer is Tim Dillard. So, <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily for on-field performance, but uh, I, it's hard to think of one who's been more impactful than, than him. So that I think it, I think it's him. I'm pretty sure that's it. I mean, we'll all have the Brian Schaus. Anybody who's our age or a little bit younger is going to have those yeah. nightmares. Yeah, the Brian Schaus is, is a good is a good answer. It led to the the best ever Joshi in baseball prospectus article um, <laughs> about how when that happens, it's time to start checking the the rafters for snipers um, because that's the only reason you would possibly do that. And that was Ned Yo swan song. So that was yep, that was yeah, it. That did it. Literally got him fired. So got him fired. There you go as it should have. It was yep. ridiculous. Okay. Uh, one last Twitter question comes from McNam 003. Along with the Yelich hit percent, I mean, degree tracker, can we <laughs> check in with uh, Paul to see if Tyrone Taylor sucks or not? So, Paul, does Tyrone Taylor suck? Uh, he doesn't suck, but he's not as good as people think he is. Um, but partially because he's part of this weird brewer problem where their righties aren't hitting lefties. <laughs> And and Tyrone Taylor is undoubtedly hitting. He's he's mm-hmm. hitting he's hitting righties, no problem there. Um, but uh, he's still struggling against the left side, and he's not a good defensive player. He's he's not really your ideal everyday center fielder. Um, and especially when the other guys around him aren't aren't super fast, he has a uh, what do I got here? Negative one point eight FRAA in the outfield mm-hmm. this year, which isn't a disaster. It's okay. Um, but like he's useful he's been he's having a good season but uh he's not super great he's just okay uh, that's tyrone taylor 
Yeah, but just okay as miles better than Lorenzo K. It's right it, now, so I think, is the it, argument. I think that's the other big point here is comparing him to like so his offense is actually pretty good for a center fielder. There is that. Like it's legitimate. Center field is not good across the league this year. Um, it uh, like like all things in the league this year, and um, you know it's not an offensive position. It's not great. Um, but uh, so he does stand out a little bit there. Um, but he's he's only okay. Um, he does have a good launch angle. He does have more. <laughs> he has seven more barrels than Lorenzo Cain does. Uh, <laughs> which tells you how many barrels he has. Um, but he's not super great. He's just, a, he's all right. He, he's just being compared to one of the worst offensive players in baseball. And uh, uh, he is purely average to below average um, if you put him up defense and offense against everybody else there, especially because he is weak against the side that he's supposed to be strong against. Yeah, he's a perfectly useful player to have. Yep. And he's a guy that I want on my team getting three to 400 plate appearances in a season. And I would definitely worry once you start talking about getting him 600 plus plate appearances, which is what an everyday player gets is like 600 plus plate appearances that he's going to be overexposed. This gets into that whole idea again of once other teams start really focusing in on a guy because they are needing to get them out consistently day after day after day. Or like in the case of the Cubs here, they just got burned by him. He had a very good day against them and they will probably be devoting more time than they were before to trying to find ways to get Tyrone Taylor out. And once that starts to happen, once you start doing that, the word gets around, everybody sees everything now. It takes like two seconds for the rest of mm -hmm. the league to figure that stuff out too. As soon as you start seeing, oh, he can't he can't handle pitches in this sequence or he can't handle pitches in this part of the zone, you know, like whatever it is, whatever the guy's kryptonite is, the league finds it really fast because that's what modern baseball is. It's just really, really fast at that stuff. And when you combine that with the defense where for the Brewers as a team, they really need a good defensive center fielder because they're still relying on a lot of guys who generate a lot of fly balls. I believe that's still true. Adrian Hauser is more of an outlier than anything else. Most of their pitchers tend to generate more outs in terms of fly balls. I know Corbin Burns definitely has throughout his history. Um, Eric Lauer's more yep. of a fly ball guy. Yeah, like they're more of a fly ball defense and because they're so built around needing to do run prevention, that is like what this team hangs its hat on, even though so far this year it's been more about the offense a little bit than it really has been the run prevention. But long term, what this team is built on is is run prevention. You need a stud in center field yep. tracking down balls and. Tyrone Taylor can do it. He can take a glove, and I've said this many times. He can take a glove and play center field and be okay at it. But he's not going to be a, an above-average guy there. And so, ideally, I, I love having him over making plays in right field like he did tonight or, mm -hmm. you know, making plays in left field. Like, that's that's where I want him, and he can come in and play a couple days a week, maybe, you know, one day off the bench or something in center field, but you don't want him out there every day. That is not an ideal situation for him and for this team because they need a really great defensive center fielder. Yep. And if that's not Kane, which it doesn't seem to be, as Paul has pointed out here again and again, then that tells me it's time to look elsewhere. And I suspect that the Brewers also feel that way based on the fact that they went out and got Jackie Bradley Jr. last year. Yeah. That they were already yeah. sort of anticipating this decline from Kane and were hoping that Bradley Jr. could be the bridge to their next generation of guys. And that clearly didn't happen. Yeah. So now they they're once again in the market looking for center field help at the at the deadline here, which is fine. It it, yeah. it happens. But I don't think you want Tyrone Taylor as your everyday starter in center field. You know, but he doesn't suck. He he's he's all right. Sure. He's good to have. Yep. All right. Uh, we are all kind of hitting a wall here after yeah, a long but, weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, let's just wrap it up by uh, tracking Christian Yelich's launch angle. He's down to 7.6 degrees now. Yeah, so yep, He's yep. kind of had a rough patch here. Uh, still has 17 barrels, which he had 22 all of last year. So that's still uh, good. But uh, yeah, he's definitely kind of hit a patch here where he's not elevating as frequently. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that, I guess, through the rest <laughs> of the year. 
Um, all right. So a reminder, uh, when you do become a patron, aside from that question priority, uh, you do get a shout out here on the program when you sign up as well. And Ryan looks like we have a new person to welcome to the team or welcome to the family, I should say. Sure do. Michael Santana, thank you for uh, joining up. Uh, looking forward to you uh, contributing to our minor league extras, which should be I don't think we're going to do one this week, but I think the week after James and I will convene and do a a, uh, a June minor league extra. There you go. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that as well. Um, a reminder, too, we would also appreciate it if you leave us a review and a rating for this podcast. Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars, including yep. as much of the B-movie script <laughs> as Apple Podcasts will allow. Uh, so uh, if you missed that, uh, scroll to the end of last week's episode uh, uh, post credits and, and you get a dramatic reading of the B-movie script. Uh, from Paul. That was very well done, Paul. Uh, kudos on that. <laughs> well, I uh, thank you. I, I don't know how many ways there are to do that. Um, uh, but yeah, none this week. Thank God, because I want to go to bed. But, um, <laughs> the, so I have never seen B-movie, and um, I was hoping, well, I was hoping to not ever have this happen, generally speaking, but um, th- there's like in the first five minutes, six first six minutes of B movie, I can tell you how long that is. There's like 27 <laughs> characters who talk, so it's not like two people having a conversation or you know a solo thing. It's it's having to go back and forth between like just tons of people with no context. It it was ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, that was fun. Thanks for that ridiculousness. Um, next time, let's have like something that's easier for one person to read please (laughs) (laughs) or at least something that will allow you to do your jerry seinfeld uh i don't really do it but at least it's fun to be able to to do the seinfeld you know i'm not gonna i'm too tired i can't do it right now yeah no we're we're all tired we're being uh much like the brewers are are tired and they still got a week to go left in this stretch so we'll wrap things up here this week uh hopefully for uh hoping for a strong close out to the Cubs series and and a good showing at home against the Padres. Uh, We will be back here next week to recap all of that here on the Walkies tailgate. Have a good week, everybody.